And we're away. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Rich Mellon and uh, host of Trapping Inc. TV. Today, I have a very special guest from Alaska. And this is Mike Matney. And Mike is noted for his incredible fur products. And he's noted for uh, special traps that he makes. But mostly, you're noted as being a trapper. And you've been a trapper for a very long time, Mike. Yep. Yeah, I originally started trapping when I was about eight or nine years old, we had a, where I lived, my, we had a rock pile that was about 200 yards from the house that the wood rats would get into. And then the uh, wood rats occasionally would get to the house. So my mother hired me to trap the wood rats out in the rock pile. So basically my trapping career started as ADC work, basically. <laughs> so wood rats. And that would have been in, in, the, in the middle of uh, the 60s, about 65, 66, somewhere in there. When you talk about a wood rat, are you talking about a pack rat? Like they pack have a hairy yep. tail? Yep, hairy tail. Yep. Make a pack big rat, mess and rat. stink. And... You know, they stink something terrible. Yeah. They get into the house, they're really, really nasty. So. <laughs> okay. So that was so. that was how it started was, was, was with, with the pack rats or wood rats. Yep. I was getting paid 50 cents a wood rat. So my mother really wanted the wood rats dead before they got a chance to get into the house. So where was this? This is in northeastern Washington, north of Spokane, Washington, about uh, 80 miles. Is that far enough to be away from the crazies? Or? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Back then it was. Huh? Well, yeah, back then it was, you know, basically uh, all the decisions are made by the people that can see the Space Needle in the state of Washington. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that goes on. BC, it's, it's, uh, if you can see Stanley Park, you know, <laughs> it, it, there's, there's not much, many decisions that are made out of, uh, outside of that, that, that little, uh, wart on the bottom of BC there. And it's getting that way everywhere, it seems. We're, 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 we're just about a modern day Hunger Games, aren't we? Yep. Yeah. I, uh, so you started as with, uh, with the wood rats and then you moved into uh i understand beaver, yeah i yeah i started trapping beaver then shortly thereafter and uh that was when i was about 14 i guess something like that and uh yeah one of the interesting things that you know i i was able to trap enough beaver by the time i turned 16 i always wanted to buy a corvette but by the time i got 16 i had enough money for a corvette but i realized i needed a ford pickup and so i went and had i couldn't order it myself but my dad ordered it for me because i was just 16 and but i had accumulated enough money from beaver to buy a brand new pickup which that i don't think is possible these days but it's so funny because i mean Beaver, of course, has gone up and down in price, and, and fur has gone up and down in price. Every now and then, though, you have, you know, the last crazy blip we had would have been about 2013-14 when, and it was driven mostly by the by the um, ranch mink and that, but, you know, Martin was hitting $200 a Martin, and and uh, the beaver is making a nice comeback. You know, if you if you uh, do your work and, and you take your beaver in the wintertime, uh, you know, you're going to get... 40, 50, maybe even $60 for, for the beaver at this last auction as, as much of, of an auction as it was. I mean, they can't get anybody there in person. So, I mean, but the other stuff has gone, has risen in price so much more like that Ford truck when you bought it back then was, was probably what? $4,600. That's what I was going to say, $5,000. And, and now so it's basically it's, 
10 times. So in, in theory, a beaver should be worth $300 rather than $30 at this same time as a comparable. But you know what I think happened? Um, a lot of people have asked me why this happens. And, and I don't know. Let me, let me run this one by you. I think the ranching did it to us. I think the fact that, uh, you know, a mink coat at one time was, was a very, you know, very, very spendy thing, 40, 50, $60,000 for a mink coat. Now the price on that is, has dropped through the floor because there's, there's so many uh, ranch uh, uh, mink ranchers out there. And I think that that drug the wild fur down with it, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see when they, uh, Denmark and all the places where they destroyed all the mink because of the COVID. I'm interested to see what's going to be the outcome of all what just took place. Well, I think we're seeing the beginning of the outcome. Uh, our muskrats have really gone up. The muskrats are the first things that are affected by the by the mink, and uh, mostly because uh, female mink, when she gets down to around about twelve dollars, well, she's about the same as three muskrats, and so that that depresses the price of, of muskrats. And the, mostly what female mink are used for and what a lot of muskrats are used for is for lining the inside of down coats in, in places like Korea and Vietnam and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's quite a popular uh, a trend, I guess. I, I, I'm not sure that it's, it's necessary for, for the weather and that, but it's a very popular trend. So once that female mink gets down to 12 bucks, well, now it, it kicks the heck out of our, of our muskrat uh, um, prices and that. And now my, uh, the mink have disappeared. All of a sudden, I just, I just had, <laughs> I sent my mink for this last auction. My, and my, these are all wild mink. And uh, I got like, I think I sent, I forget what I sent, 30 mink or whatever. But a dozen of them, 10 or, 10 or a dozen of them made top lot. And that was $10.50. But but back when they were working with wild mink to make those mink coats, it took a lot of mink because they, to be able to match the colors and and to match sizes and all that, it took a lot of mink. Now today they just walk up to a barn that has, you know, 2000 mink in it. They're all, they're all the same color, same size, same age, same everything. You know, yeah. it is greatly devalued the value of wild of wild animals. Um, I, I think we totally became relegated to the to the role of being just trim, right? Yeah, pretty much. The you know the the uh, wild fur only makes up five percent of the fur trade currently. You know, where it, like you said, in earlier years it was significantly different. So, you know, in the thirties or late late twenties. Uh, Pine Martin was worth a month's wages. And so at least... Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And we all have our idea of the perfect morning. You know what I'm talking about. For me, the perfect morning starts with the aroma and flavor of freshly brewed Old Smokes coffee. Studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity. No kidding. Well, that's certainly no secret to me. I can barely talk before that first cup. (laughs) Just ask Sandy. I'm a dark roast man, and Old Smoke's Coffee's darkest roast, Stout Maple, is what gets my day in gear. Extra dark, it's strong, aromatic, and smooth. Gets me revved up for whatever that day throws at me. Old Smoke's roasts their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes more time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood smoke. Old Smoke's makes a roast perfect for each person. There are five roasts, from light to extra dark, 
each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Did you know the darker the roast, the lower the caffeine content? It's true. Caffeine is a volatile oil that evaporates with roasting. The lightest roast has the most caffeine, and the darkest roasts have the most flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Pretty simple. Just go to www.olsmokescoffee.com, that's O-L-E smokescoffee.com, and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get to today's show. People would go on a Martin track and they would go after that one Pine Mart, uh, which that was kind of an interesting period of time. And, you know, Silver Fox that were, you know, a $300 Silver Fox when today's wages was, you know, a buck and a half. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, it, it was, it was fascinating. We had kind of that, that stuff here too. Like um, if you, go to uh, um, uh, Fort Chip up in the northeast corner of, of Alberta. Uh, it is the uh, uh, one of the largest freshwater deltas in the world. And that is the the, the Peace River comes together and, and that and then they, you know, they head out back to, uh, to the Arctic Ocean. But it's a large freshwater delta. And you, so you have all these these sloughs and lakes and that, 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 that hold muskrats. They're all shallow. They get flooded every so many years, or they did until we had, until the Bennett Dam was put in. But, um, during the, like from the, the, uh, late 1800s into like, uh, especially into when the, the depression was going on, that was where people went because every muskrat was worth a buck to three bucks. And during the depression, nobody was getting that kind of money for a day's wages. And so yeah. it was the largest city in Alberta. <laughs> and it was all because of muskrat. It was all because of fur wow. trapping. Yeah. Oh, they, wow. they take hundreds of thousands of muskrats out of there, or they did that at that time, out of out of that one uh, freshwater delta. And it's an inland delta, which makes it very unique, right? Mm -hmm. it, rather than, uh, you know, the deltas you have up, uh, you know, like the Mackenzie Delta and that where it go, flows into the Arctic Ocean. Uh, it, it was it was pretty interesting to, to learn the, the, the history that, uh, uh, or the influences of history that, that trapping has had, but your own history then you started with beaver and you were making, you know, back then, I guess beaver would be 30 bucks. Yeah. 30 bucks, 30 buck average thereabouts. And that continued for a long time. It continued that. Of course, there was that period in the seventies when coyotes went uh, ballistic and went up and cats took off pretty good then you know when i first started trapping cats they were 20 bucks and you know, bobcat that is and uh coyotes were about six bucks and that well then they jumped up to somewhere around 100 for cats and 50 for coyotes in the in the early 70s and then they what was when was the period when they got uh well they got up to about 200 dollars for the coyotes in what 76 maybe I don't it remember that. I, I remember that like uh, oh, 78 to 81, 82 links were just like crazy. Yeah, that's when the bobcats went up, you know, were four or $500 at that point in the 80s there. Yeah, that might have been when that might have been when the coyotes got to 200 too. There was a period of time when I could make pretty good money on coyotes and, and that. So I know my son well, must have been in the 
early nineties, he asked me, he said, dad, I want to, and he heard the story about me buying a pickup. And he said, dad, I want to catch as many bobcats as I can so I can buy a pickup. And he was 16. <laughs> yeah. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll help you. So, so by then this is already, this was, this was after, that'd be after 2000 because uh, we were having to use box traps at that time. So I'd figured out a way to trap bobcats using cage traps. And I'd actually figured out that there's a real benefit to cage trapping. You used to lose bobcats occasionally being eaten by a cougar or being eaten by another big male. And it was just a shame to lose a bobcat when it was in, caught in a foothold or a snare. And so by cage traps, you eliminated that problem. Uh, and then, uh, so what I did is I went out and I pre-baited during the, during the week. And then we had a 24 hour trap check after I 713 pants, which banned the use of all body gripping devices. So I'd pre-bait and I had as many as 600 baits out at one time. And then he'd take off on his snowmobile and check all the baits and he'd carry a box trap with him and, or actually could carry two of them with him at the time. And any bait that got hit, because it was all uh, frozen the bait and the bobcats had hit the bait and they wouldn't leave it. And we usually used a piece of beaver meat about the size of a cantaloupe or so. But all they could do is gnaw on it because it was frozen solid, but they wouldn't leave it either. And so he'd set a trap and then he'd go back the next day on Sunday. And, you know, he was catching, well, always he'd have one or two, but uh, he had as many as five one several times, I think, and in a day. And so and that's when cats were $350, $400. And so, but he ended up catching a couple months and went out and bought a Toyota Tundra pickup. So a used one, but nevertheless, he was able to, I don't remember how many, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, something like that. So oh, that's awesome. So he bought his with the Bobcats. <laughs> so uh, when you were pre-baiting, what did you do? Take like a frozen chunk and nail it to a tree or what were you, how were you doing that? Yeah, you, you have to keep it up off the ground. Otherwise, the coyotes will grab it. But once it's up off the ground, the, the coyotes won't bother it. And then I used a concoction of uh, basically rotted down fish and uh, skunk essence and uh, RB antifreeze and just squirt a spray of it up the side of a tree. And that had drawn for quite a ways. But, you know, basically when I was pre-baiting, I would just go until I cut a set of cat tracks and I'd put in a bait and spray it up the side of the tree and hang a ribbon for him. And then he'd, he'd just go to the drainage and head up the drainage with his snowmobile until he found a ribbon and check the bait. If there's cat tracks around it, then he'd set a trap. If there wasn't, he'd just blow on to the next one. That's fascinating. And that, what, what, a, what a great system. I, I've never heard of anybody doing that. I guess mostly because everybody, you know, today we, you, at least where we are, we just set a trap and, and you walk away, right? but you had to use well, cage traps. Yeah, we were forced into that. Uh, we were forced into a 24 hour check. We were forced into using cage traps. Like I earlier mentioned there, I discovered there's some real advantages to using cage traps. So we were able to turn loose the females, uh, which, you know, of course a milky bellied females worth very little compared to a, a Tom and that. And it just made a lot of sense to me to be turning the females loose. Here it is perfectly fine. You know, there's, and, and one, if you shake a cat up in a trap, he won't go back in it. And so, uh, <laughs> a good, good, a good friend of mine, uh, 
he uh he asked he called me up one day and he said hey have you been up mitchell mitchell flats trapping cats and i said yeah why and i figured you were because i got all these cats that walk up to the front of the cage and just look at it and then turn around and walk off <laughs> you know what i refer to lynx as as the stoned hippie wandering through the bush all the time because they just make no sense and they will do the dumbest <laughs> things and then <laughs> And then you you got to prove me wrong. You actually trained a cat to do something? <laughs> <laughs> the majority of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the majority of them won't, won't go back. And I know I had one here not too long ago. Uh, uh, my stepson was trapping cats and, and he was turning the females loose because that's what I'd kind of taught him to do. And he said, this damn female keeps getting back in the trap. He caught it three times. They'd shake it up harder the next time and and it'd still get back in it the next time. But finally, it, it he finally ended up killing it just because he couldn't keep it out of his trap. But that's not generally the what happened. Generally, you shake them up once and they won't go back in a trap. <laughs> I, I, I know a guy who's thinking right now that he wishing that he that we had a problem with bobcats in, in Alberta because he does he does ADC work. And one of the things they do is is they they, they try to uh, drive uh, coyotes away through, you know, disruptive uh, behavior and, and doing things like that but it is funny that you, you like to me that the dumbest animal out there just about is a cat like a lynx and and everybody has this great respect for wolverine that the that the wolverine are, are so intelligent and everything yet we have a study going on um here with the, the alberta conservation association where we live trap wolverine and then we collar them and, and you, you, they get drugged and, and uh, we, we do studies on them all that. We can, and because of these collars, we can GPS uh, follow them and all that. We've discovered we have way more Wolverine than we ever dreamt we had. And it's actually been a good thing. You usually, you know, as a trapper, you're kind of scared to get into this because it'll turn up being something that this, you know, removes your rights and they'll, they'll get rid of, uh, of the ability to trap Wolverine. And I've been told that that's where they were at. And that they were, they, the study was actually, they thought was going to prove that they should shut down Wolverine trapping in Alberta. And it proved the exact, <laughs> yeah, it proved the exact opposite. They proved that, you know, that the snowpack wasn't as important and that far more of them lived in the, in the flat boreal forest that we have up north, like where my trap line is, as compared, they thought that the vast majority of, of Wolverine lived, lived along the eastern slopes of the Rockies. And that's, that's just the, the, the smallest part of the, of the population. But these animals, when they took put this proposal up and they were going to do um dna trapping where where they would have these alligator clips there that would pinch fur off of them so then they could test the dna see you know the sample how big the population is and all this kind of stuff and, and these guys are all brilliant and in, in their own way but i'm sitting there watching this and and i'm thinking so then they're talking about these big old log traps, you know, where it's a deadfall trap and it closes the lid. Basically, they're in a big coffin, right? And and uh, mm -hmm. we went through some learning there because if a wolverine can see daylight anywhere, he can eat his way out. So <laughs> so we had to do a lot of a, a lot of redesign there to to actually keep them in there. But then I I, I says, you know, it, it got on bother me so much. I said to him finally, I says, I got one problem here. I said, these animals, you know, have this reputation for being so incredibly smart. How are we ever going to get them back, you know, to get that collar? And, and well, they said, well, we've thought of that, too. So everything is downloaded through GPS and all that. And the only thing that we'd ever want to recatch them for is to weigh them and, you know, check their check to see if they if they're pregnant, if they're female, that, that kind of stuff. Right. And I said, OK, because so they said, I don't know how we're ever going to catch them again, you know, and and 
I even the, the, the fact of how you were going to put a collar on them, the way they're, you know, they're, they're, they're bullet shaped right from their nose to their shoulders. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking that that's even going to, how, how do we keep a collar on? Turns out they will go into a cage over and over and over again. They, they, <laughs> we have, we have created welfare Wolverine. <laughs> they have names. They, um, we discovered the one there. Uh, I forget his name now. I think Goliath. I think it was something, something like that. Big, big, uh, big Wolverine male. We've discovered that males often travel with, with, with their sons for a year. And uh, this, this one guy keeps going back to, to the, the log pen. And they, so they go there and, and the sun is, is laying outside. We have, of course, we have trail cams all around all these things. The sun is laying outside and he's, you know, on his back and it's just doing all this kind of stuff, waiting for dad to get out of the pokey. Right. Cause <laughs> dad's in jail. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, of course he runs off when the, when the bios come up, um, these things, they all have a trigger on them. So we know that when, know that when an animal's in there, and there's lots of food in there too, right? That's what brought them in there is there's lots of food and they go there and they, they knock them out. They tranquilize them. They check them all out. They let them go. And he, he'll be back sometimes two, two, two and three times in a year. And he brings the boy with them. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> and I'm thinking, God, these things aren't, aren't like what everybody thinks. They're not brilliant. They're, they're, they're just, you have to be a place where there's lots of Wolverine and then you understand, you know, uh, how easy it is to catch Wolverine. Right. But it, that was, and, and then now you tell me that you can climatize a, a cat to not go into a cage. I was like, Oh no, the cat cats are brighter than Wolverines. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I tried that same thing with uh, pine Martin. Cause I thought, well, you know, maybe I should be turning the female pine mer Martin loose with the same concept in mind, you know, up my production for the area. And uh, so what I found is, is the pine marten are the same way. They will go right back in the trap. Uh, you know, he's going to be, you catch him one day, he's going to be there tomorrow too. And he'll be there the next day, you know, so that didn't really work. So my <laughs> next attempt was to use gang sets and uh, put in a beaver carcass and get him using it and then set about 10 traps around it. Because here in Southeast Alaska, you know, there's a lot of pine marten per square mile in certain locations and they're per per area so i'd set a half a dozen traps or eight traps around this bait and then selected all the males that i wanted to keep and then turn all the females loose but that turned out to be way more work than it was worth and i did it for two years and finally decided it really wasn't gaining as much as what i wanted to wanted to accomplish so i kind of gave up that program what was your percentage or did it what was there uh, anything you could track uh, I didn't really track it as much as I was just more interested in turning the females loose. And if it was a juvenile, like, you know, I was just visually looking at it and seeing, well, is this a, it's either got to be a female or a juvenile and then turn it loose. It, I didn't really, I figured, well, the juvenile, if it is a male juvenile, juvenile, then that's going to replace the ones that I did take out of the male, the big males. So, so anyway, I had tried that, and I, like I said, I finally gave that up and decided it really wasn't doing me as much good as it did in the case of the cats. It was, it was real noticeable. So, well, what I think the biggest problem is is that <coughs> cages are not cheap. Cages are, are well, pretty awkward to 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 move around. Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community. Trapping Inc. at Locals.com. We created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference 
and censorship of social media companies. Because this community is subscriber exclusive, there is no censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming. This happens on Twitter and Facebook. Trolls are non-existent, as not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping Inc., YouTube videos, and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never-before-released to the internet hunting and fishing from around the world. Trappinginc.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all Trapping Inc. content from the past and into the future. What else is there to do? Well, there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact. You can message us directly on trappinginc.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers. These are all people with common interests. Get in here. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, building a community of shared interest and interacting with all of our friends. Who knows where we can go from here? Just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account. Then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe for $5 a month. That's it. Go to locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for $5 a month to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible, ethical management of the wild resources. Trappinginc.locals.com. Now back to the show. Well, actually, I made a folding trap that lays flat, and it was 24 inches long, and it take up about two inches. I could carry about, you know, 30 or 40 of them in my box on the back of my snowmobile. Okay, so not all of us are, are MacGyver like you. <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't have your abilities. Well, I had all the stuff from building the muskrat traps. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that. Like, your muskrat traps. You sent me some of your non-grip muskrat traps, and they're, they're a floating colony trap. And I, yeah. I uh, had some success with it, with it this year. I only got to use use it in the spring, which spring is 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 a, a bad time for muskrat trapping around here for a couple reasons. One, if they're gonna die, they die in the winter. <laughs> and two, all these lakes, I I I trap the heck out of them every fall, you know, because uh, it it's the old thing. Like when, when we were kids, you know, the the old fellows would sit around and say, "Oh, that," you know, it'd be Whitland and chewing Copenhagen, and, and they'd say, you know, that that lake out back is just plumb full of rats. But I'm not gonna not going to go there till springtime you know and and uh then they're all going to be big <laughs> they're all going to be primed yeah and then they and then they, most of them would die off they would never make the winter right i mean mm-hmm. mother nature sets it up so that only 10 percent of them ever need to make it to, to to be able to uh uh procreate to breed or whatever and whether it's muskrats or or or, or fisher or whatever uh, and with muskrats, it's probably not even ten percent make it. <laughs> yeah. you know, they, uh, well, they say you, they say you can trap ninety percent of the muskrats and maintain a healthy population in through indefinite. Uh, just by catching ninety percent, you reduce the numbers down to where you have a healthy population and repeat the process over and over and over again, and never let it, you know, well, never let it populate up and disease out or die out. That's just it. Like, I mean, the, the, the end for any wild animal is not, is not pretty. There, there, there are several, you know, about four different things that how, how they can end up, how they can die. Old age isn't one of them, but when uh, the fur market died in 81, 82, 
and muskrats mm-hmm. died, right? Like, I mean, the, the, the price mm-hmm. dropped and, and so people quit trapping muskrats. Well, <coughs> within a couple of years, we, uh, Todorima swept through the, the, the muskrat population up here in the north. And we never seen a muskrat until the late 90s. Like, I mean, that's how bad it was. Like, I mean, it just wiped everything out, you know, and that was yeah. just disease because that's, that's mother nature's way. And people don't understand that, you know, like the, the, the various, uh, you know, uh, anti-fur people, when they talk about how cruel you are and the choices that, you know, that, that you're making killing those animals. Uh, what, what's your answer when people say, you know, uh, how that, that you're being cruel? Like, I, I uh, have an opportunity in the store to talk to people a lot. And I find it really uh, enjoyable to, to uh, you know, if they'll inter- or, uh, interject in a conversation about it, you know, that, you know, we probably have some things we could agree upon. You know, we can probably agree that no animal what dies of old age, no wild animal dies of old age. And so, you know, they may give a little bit of slack. Well, you grab your smartphone and you ask your smartphone, what percentage of wild animals die of old age and they you know they may dispute it but your answer is basically none or a non-negligible amount and so well okay well so what's uh what's the other possibilities of this animal to die well it could die of starvation it could be consumed by another predator or it could die of disease or it could die from a conibear trap yeah out of those four deaths which one is the most humane well, I'm thinking starvation as, you know, if you want to, you know, so many times people relate uh, their own thoughts of themselves to an animal, which I don't know if that's truly accurate, but, but nevertheless, given that, I would prefer not to die of starvation. I would prefer not to die of disease. I would prefer not to be consumed by another predator. I would rather be killed relatively instantly. Yeah. You know, so out of the, the humane deaths, of that animal trapping in fact is the most humane but the more important point to look at is is how humane is it to the animals that are left because now they no longer have to compete with that yep. with that animal now their environment is so much better than it was before so as a steward of the land uh i mean i'm doing my part to make the environment better for the wildlife not worse <laughs> And, you know, like here in Canada, we have uh, um, our, by, by law, our, our traps are mandated to kill in a certain amount of time. So when you're talking about the, the conibear bear or body grip, uh, body grip trap, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the 110s, 120s, 160s, 220s have to kill within 120 seconds, two minutes. When my time comes, I'll, t- I'll take the 220. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and yep. then the, the 280s and 330s uh they have to kill in 300 seconds or, or five minutes. That, that's still a, a, a lot faster than, than anything else. Like, I mean, you watch uh, s- some of the animals, like muskrats, sometimes when you catch muskrats, you know, especially in the springtime when they've been breeding and that, they'll have half their innards hanging out. Now that animal's going to die. It's just going to take it days to die. You know, so what, what mm-hmm. what's, what's more preferable? You know, like you know, going, going into a trap and it being over with or, or, or that situation, right? People, you know, I, I get a lot of, a lot of these questions. And like, like I say, I think a lot of people, because so much today is by, by internet or, or by email or whatever, and you don't get any inflection. So you're always kind of a little bit gun shy, right? You don't get any inflection about, about uh, what they're, 
you know, where they're coming from. But I think a lot of people just want to understand. And there's, there's a, a lot of people that I've explained it to overwhelmingly, like probably 80% of the people that watch our show or our podcasts or anything are not trappers, but they're just fascinated with the life and they're fascinated with, with, uh, you know, the results that, that, that it has had on, on uh, the economy and, and, and on, on the countries involved, right? It, it, it's uh, I, one of those things is just hardwired into, into, into the human uh, uh, psyche is, is the trapping and hunting in that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I get a lot of enjoyment of talking to them when I come in and I, you know, particularly the Californians, I enjoy Californians immensely talking to them because they, as you know, they probably recently banned the use of all fur products and all fur, fur manufacturing, fur products. And yet I see that the same people are going to figure out that, you know, according to most of the stuff I've, I've read and understand that there's somewhere around 800,000 tons of microfibers being flushed into the ocean, which now most of the sea life has got plastic in it, basically microfibers. And I can see the same people, you know, that have been the ones that are being, send me money and I'll write this terrible wrong of trapping. You know, I can see them, you know, these are fur koozies I make here are biodegradable, organic, and a renewable resource. Can you say that about the microfibers? Hold that None up. Of the- hold, hold that up. Let's, let's see that. Yeah, there you go. And that's, that's a beer koozie, beer can koozie, and, or a beer bottle koozie. And those are made yeah. from... Uh, Beaver? Beaver and otter. That is what I make these out of. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) So anyway, but they're biodegradable, organic, and renewable resource, you know? And so these same people that were the ones that were saying, send me money and I'll write this terrible wrong of fur trapping could be the ones that are saying, send me money and I'll write this terrible wrong of using polyester and and petroleum-made fabrics that are now in destroying the oceans and the sea life and the ecosystem and the oceans. So yeah, I, I, I see find, that coming around. I find that how the people approach you the first time kind of sets the tone because if they ask a question, then there is a chance that, that an explanation will, will make sense. But if they come up and, and, you know, karma's going to get you and, and um, the million hundred thousand other things that awful things they say, including my, my grandchildren and, and all that kind of stuff. I know that, that no amount of facts is ever going to get through to them. They, yeah. They're they're operating just on emotion and, and whatever was injected into their cereal that morning, you know? <laughs> I, I, people, just when you think people can, uh, couldn't disappoint you anymore, then along comes that, right? Uh, I, I know what you, what you talk about when you talk about managing the uh, populations, that, you know, how important it is to, that, that we keep trapping. Uh, it takes a lot of trappers to make an, a difference on a, on a population. I take a look at my, my trap line, 144 square miles. And, uh, you know, at, at its lowest point, they say that you need 0.4 uh, mature Martin per square kilometer to in order to have uh, maintain a, a breeding population, in order to be self-sustaining. So at the minimum, I have 150 Martin running around on, on, on that, that uh, trap line. Uh, and you know, and I, I catch thirty-five to fifty of them uh, of them every year. That's I'm I'm not taking out you know that eighty or ninety percent, but you know, in actual fact, I, I I probably have you know when they talk about good populations like in uh, 
probably your country, probably, uh, I know they, in the Yukon and that, they're talking about 2.4 Martin per, per square kilometer. Well, well, at, at that point now, you know, that, that, that the number just absolutely jumps up. And, and I take a look at, at how, where, when did it become so popular to be able to blame a single person out there for all of these problems, you know, like, you know, the, the, the Martin population is down and, and, the, or the, you know, the, the, uh, the coyotes are, have, uh, have dropped off all that kind of stuff. When nobody even begins to look at, at, at the variables involved in, in the, uh, in the nature of things to begin with, you know, like we went through probably 10 years ago, we started getting low snow levels in the, in the wintertime and the Martin populations dropped and the Fisher populations rocketed. And I didn't put that together. It wasn't until I was doing research later that, that all of a sudden then we went through, started about five years ago, six years ago, we started getting 10 feet of snow, 10 feet of snow, 12 feet of snow, big winters again. And the population of, of, the, of the Martin went like this and the Fisher went like this. And so I started researching all this. It turns out that, that Martin do best where there's more than two feet of snow a month and fisher do best where there's less than two feet of snow a month. So was that really the variable that was important there? Did, did my trapping have anything to do with it? You know, what about the oil companies or the, or the, the lumber companies, you know, all that stuff. But no, that, that one guy, that trapper, he's, he's at fault, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see the same thing here. When I mentioned the 90%, that only pertains to muskrats where they're breeding in some cases two or three times a year and things like that, where the pine martin are significant different where they're yeah. extremely easy to over trap entirely different situation there and uh, so just making that distinction that each animal species is has a different uh, productivity and have when you're trapping your pine martin you notice that when you you have pressure on the pine martin they tend to have uh, a little bit better reproduction rate uh, I know areas that I've gone into and started trapping that hadn't been trapped uh, the number of Martin actually increase from trapping pressure because I think what what it does is if my understanding is correct like the farmers that raise hogs they feed the hell out of the hogs before they breed them so they have a higher number of fat cells in the in their system so they produce a larger number of ova uh, and they have larger litters and so I think in the case of all mammals that's the case where if they go into breeding season where the numbers have been reduced and they have an abundance of feed, they have more healthy numbers. Same thing with coyotes. Instead of coyotes having four pups, when they go into the breeding season and they have an abundance of feed, they may have six or eight pups. Yeah, yeah, we, we've discovered that. Part of the thing with Martin that, that is really, really odd is Martin is one of the few fur bearers that can freeze to death. They have such a low fat content. Uh, their, their body is, I mean, you never, you never, I mean, a fat Martin has two little gobs of fat under its armpits and a little bit at the at, at the groin. That's it. That's a fat Martin, right? Uh, not you know compared to a to an otter or whatever you know that where you get pounds of fat off them. That's why the snow is so important. They have to be able to get under that snow and into that uh, into that uh, and Nivian climate in order to to survive those those cold weathers. Um, Yes, I do find that when I trap hard, I end up having more Martin than rather than less. We have exclusive trap lines in, in Alberta. So I have 12 miles by 12 miles 
uh, four townships is 144 square miles. That's mine. I'm the only person who can trap it. So I, I can control how many animals or whatever kind are taken off of it. But the, the fact that you do better when, when you're trapping them harder has, has more to do with the fact that uh, the uh, generational age of, of Martin is really, really low. Like a generation is three or four years. That's it. I never understood that because people are talking about, oh, I haven't been across the river over there in, in 20 years. I'll bet you the Martin are just stacked up over there. Well, you can't stack them up over there because the, you know, the generation is so short. Uh, I was contacted by a biologist out of Michigan and uh, him and his wife were doing a study and they had, they had taken and, um, and collared or, or put um, beacons or whatever it was in, in uh, little RFD trackers is what it was in in uh, martin and, I, and uh they got like young of the year and they had one that made it to to five years and and, and i says oh, is that unique like i didn't really know anything about the aging of, of martin he says that's unbelievable he says very few make it to four years and you know for one to make hmm. it to five was, was unbelievable so in a lot of cases what happens then is is that your population might just get old and your population might uh, uh you know become unbalanced because you don't have those females in the time when they could producing lots of uh, lots of young and the young are of course are 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 the one that that's what the most that don't make it through the winter and and two that's that that's what brings the you know diversity as the you know if she has a, a big a big litter they're going to spread out more because they need need to find their own areas where if she just has one it it might stay in her area so there's a lot of uh, advantage to that and i mean we, we know that from as you mentioned with coyotes and wolves we know that from uh, you know when they they're, they're trying to to now control the Alberta wolves that we exported down to Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks. By the way, you're welcome. I got. Mike, why couldn't you have just said no? We're not going to give you any of those. Why? That would have saved a lot of problems for us if you just said no. <laughs> Do you know how many conversations were over a, over a beer or a bottle saying, "You know what?" And they paid us for it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it was crazy it was well, crazy I, I used to trap in the selkirk range right against the canadian i lived right against the canadian border I had a lot of friends in canada so i'm very familiar with your trapping system i actually for a number of years i tried to develop that in the state of washington but i it fell on deaf ears and never could get it done but you know it, i trap in an area where they had the woodland only woodland caribou in the lower 48 and We'd trade them, uh, I don't know what the hell we were trading, uh, bighorn sheep, I think we were trading them for caribou, so for these woodland caribou, and finally <laughs> the, the Canadians said, you're not getting any more goddamn woodland caribou, they keep dying when they get down there, and then the wolves, wolves came in, and I remember talking to the biologist, and I came down off my trap, one of the Forest Service biologists, and I said, you know, you got, you got some wolves up there right now, and he said, I said, what are you going to do when you're your precious endangered wolves find your precious endangered caribou they're not going to eat one of them they're going to eat all of them you know that right and he said yeah. yeah and there's nothing i can do they're both protected you know so that's what happened and so the canadians then finally said we're not giving you any more caribou if you're going to just kill them <laughs> so. uh, and now and now the caribou are in trouble in bc because of wolves yeah yeah you know i mean yeah. it's just it's, it's just crazy i i don't understand like the bounty system is such an incredible way for controlling animals. You know, like, I mean, people go out and, and 
hunt uh, wolves or, or trap wolves or, or whatever, um, you know, based on a bounty, it works really well. It works really well. The, the, the political willpower isn't there for it. I think the, the operative word there is bounty. Now, if you look at the, uh, the expense reimbursement they do in, in Idaho, yep. that's not a bounty. It's an expense reimbursement for the welfare of the ungulate population. And so, you know, that's $1,000 a wolf down there that the sportsman club pays for, uh, for expense reimbursement. It's not a bounty, it's expense reimbursement. Yes. So yeah. you take that word bounty out of the equation and it becomes much more palatable. They just opened, a, that's the Federation for Wildlife Protection or something like that, foundation, I think it's called. Um, I have talked with the, with the Robert, who's the, uh, who's the president of it. They just opened a chapter in Montana and mm -hmm. of course yeah. around Missoula and Billings and that, that's not going over real well with all the imports, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they have a problem with, you know, and, and they do have a trapping system, uh, trap, um, trapping season and, and that in for wolves in, in Montana. And uh, they've been very uh, effective with it and they, they just don't want to, do anything that they're going to encourage more people the the fact that you folks can come from all over the united states and go trapping there if they've if they've taken a course in that that kind of stuff can uh you know they're worried about the pressure that might create the the wisconsin uh wolf season this year was something else hmm. did you follow that at all i did i did not Don't well it was that. they were I, I think they wanted to kill like a a hundred wolves. They ended up killing twice that. The season was supposed to be, I may be wrong about this. Season was supposed to be two weeks long, but they shut it down after four days. And get this, do you know what the most effective way that they, that they killed wolves? They ran them with dogs. Hmm. Like those are, those are a way different wolf than the ones around here because the, the <laughs> last, oh, well, we have cougar hunters, right? We have cougar outfitters yeah. in that in Alberta. Alberta is one of those places that has really, really big cougar. The last, they hate wolves because they get their, their dogs get killed by wolves. Well, yeah, the wolves start baying. It's just a dinner bell. Yeah. Dinner bell for the wolves. I mean, it's just, okay, there's a, there's a hound dog. We'll go eat that one. You know? Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. So when, when these guys in Wisconsin were, were, were actually killing them by running them with, with, with packs, I was like, that's crazy. That's got to be a different kind of wolf altogether. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know I have some friends down and still in the lower 48 there that that's a real problem for them. They can't turn a hound loose. It just scares the hell out of them because they got a really good chance of losing their hounds. Yeah. So, I, I, I have friends in Wisconsin and Minnesota and that like they, they say it's just totally destroying like coon hounds at night and that kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the fact that the problem they have with wolves. Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And we all have our idea of the perfect morning. You know what I'm talking about. For me, the perfect morning starts with the aroma and flavor of freshly brewed Old Smokes coffee. Studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity. No kidding. Well, that's certainly no secret to me. I can barely talk before that first cup. <laughs> just ask Sandy. I'm a dark roast man, and Old Smokes coffee's darkest roast, stout maple, is what gets my day in gear. Extra dark, it's strong, aromatic and smooth gets me revved up for whatever that day throws at me old smokes roast their coffee over wood fires the old-fashioned way wood roasting takes more time much longer than modern hot air roasting slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean 
and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood smoke. Old Smokes makes a roast perfect for each person. There are five roasts, from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Did you know the darker the roast, the lower the caffeine content? It's true. Caffeine is a volatile oil that evaporates with roasting. The lightest roast has the most caffeine, and the darkest roasts have the most flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Pretty simple. Just go to www.olesmokescoffee.com, that's O-L-E smokescoffee.com, and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get to today's show. Let's get back to your trap. I wandered off down the down the road here, and, and let's get back to your trap. And t- tell me how it started. What you know? What? Well, state of Washington went to ballot box biology uh, probably in about uh, you know eight uh, nineteen ninety eight something like that. They eliminated hound hunting, then they el- eliminated uh, cougar hunting. And then the next thing in 2000 was a gal named Lisa Watney uh, introduced a bill to eliminate uh, all body gripping devices in an attempt to eliminate trapping. And it passed. Uh, And so we were limited to trapping animals in box traps, uh, which apparently they found that way more humane than a conibear. And so uh, I started, I at that time, I started looking at Alaska, you know, because trapping is important enough to me that I would move to still be able to trap. But I was able to learn how to start trapping with bobcats and with cage traps and that. And I did get some beaver traps. And I found that the beaver caught in a Hancock uh, or in a colony uh, swim through trap, uh, they get damaged fur and that. And it was, it was, it was kind of a bad deal. But nevertheless, I still wanted to trap. And, you know, muskrats were, were something that we had in the central part of the state that we had some high numbers, you know, prior to this, there was 10,000 muskrats a year caught out of the Moses Lake area. And then after a few years, after not having any trapping there, the numbers went down to about 2000 and that. So, uh, but I still wanted to trap. And so I started trying to figure out, okay, how do I catch a muskrat without gripping his body in any way? And so I started designing these traps and putting trail cameras right below my house where I lived. And when I was in Washington, I had a slough that was down below the house where it's just easy to walk down there and check my cameras each day and see how the trap was working. I had several designs. It took me about a year to get a design that, that I thought worked. And, uh, and then uh, after I had a lot of videotapes and that and figured okay now I'm, I'm getting if they get in the trap they're not getting out and I'm getting them caught and at the same time I discovered with that that if I put the bars an inch and a quarter apart that the small and kit muskrats could escape unharmed and so once again you know Lisa Watney forced me into a situation where now I had a better means of trapping and way more productive I used to be able to catch about 60, 60 muskrats a day on footholds. And when I, I told my son, he lived in Montana at that time, I said, hey, if you're not doing anything this winter, come back. I want to test these traps. I, I made 80 traps and we went down there and we were catching 120 muskrats a day. And 
it was uh, just doubled my production. So in Lisa's Watney's attempt to limit my trapping, she made me more efficient. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I wanted, I think I mentioned it earlier to you that I, yeah, I wanted to name it the Lisa Watney 2000 because Lisa Watney is <laughs> the one that, the one that interjected the bill and, and it was the year 2000. So I figured that was an appropriate name for it was the Lisa <laughs> Watney 2000. <laughs> so. That works. You, you know, I'm curious about this. I'm curious how they sold this to the, to the voters, because whether they go in your trap or whether they, they get in a foothold, jump off of the, off of a float, they drowned. You know, it's, yep. it's, it's over, it's over quickly. Yep. I don't, I don't, I don't see the separation here. Do you? Yeah, there's no logic, you know, it's just like, there's no thought process there, you know, it's, it was an emotional deal. Anytime yep. you go away from scientific management to ballot box uh, management, you know, you got to remember these people, their only biological training has been watching Gentle Ben on TV, you know, so you got people making decisions <laughs> on how wildlife should be managed with absolutely no knowledge or understanding of it. And so it's what you end up with. <laughs> you know, and, and then when you get down to the point where you, you say to them, well, yes, but, you know, and they talk about, well, yeah, but the, the, the animal is, that's his home and, and you're invading and all that. And you point out that no matter where you live in the world, an animal used to live there. And then they just turn a blind eye. It's like that, it, yeah. it, it, it doesn't affect them. So it's not important, right? Yeah, yeah. logic is not something that applies. No. You know, <laughs> So you have two models, and I want to yeah. say, uh, if anybody would like to see how these work, um, we're, we're, we have an episode on it this year. I'm actually editing right now on on it on uh, Trapping ATV. But we also, if you go to our YouTube, uh, we have uh, uh, a out of the box. The day I opened them, put them together, and and, and looked at them, uh, shows how they work. And that the two different models are uh, you call the one the inverted door, and that's the one that they can come out of. The little ones come out of. And the other one is a treadle, mm -hmm. where they, they step on a treadle. Once they go in, they step on a treadle. And yeah, basically, it's just a teeter-totter that closes the door with the treadle. The other one is a, it's a bump bar that they, as they swim up to it, uh, you'll find that they, a muskrat has no problem at all pushing his way through things. They're pushing their way through brash and grass and everything else all day long. So for them to push their way into that trap, uh, I find that the muskrats will go into the inverted door easier than they will, which the treadle, they actually kind of have to crawl up on it, where I think they feel more comfortable staying in the water going into the inverted door. So I don't, you're going to catch them in both the traps. I think you'll catch them sooner in the inverted door, uh, is what my experience has been. Okay. I also had one, one time I had a, <laughs> I had an inverted door set and uh, all the carrots kept disappearing. And I thought, shit, what the hell's wrong with this trap, you know? And so I put in a, a, a treadle trap there, and I caught all these rats that are about the size of a freaking hamster, yeah. you know, a little <laughs> bit bigger than a hamster. And I said, okay, my trap was working perfectly, and I overthought it. <laughs> well, at the auction that just that just happened, um, all my muskrats sold, and the and the prices are up. Like, I mean, the good good rats are, uh, you know, the the two and three XLs were hitting six fifty. And uh, which is getting where, you know, where we want to be. But then my XS, my, my XS ones, my extra smalls 
went four for a buck. <laughs> <laughs> so I like I like the inverted door because I don't want to have any of those little those little tiny guys. Uh, I, I I prefer to, to to let them go and, and just keep the big ones. But you had a, a specific reason for for making the second one for making the treadle door that caught everything. Well, because of what happens is that a lot of muskrats caught now are animal damage control. The majority of them probably actually are, if truth be known. And, you know, people don't want to let them, they want to wipe them out. You know, they've been digging tunnels into their dam or doing whatever damage they're doing. Or, you know, when somebody uh, has a boat down on the dock and the muskrats eat the, the rubber boot around the outdrive and the boat sinks, and I thought, now they don't want to kill just, just the big ones. They want to kill all of them. <laughs> It became personal right there. Sunk <laughs> yeah. their eighty thousand dollar boat, and they have a different opinion on muskrats now. Yeah. That they're every muskrat should be dead at that point. Tell them, tell them their water was that their boat's floating in the muskrat's water. That they shouldn't, they shouldn't worry about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the muskrat was there first, right? <laughs> but you're right, though. We we do have those situations, you know, like in in the Netherlands. I mean, the country is is kept above water by dikes, dike systems. Well, they they took muskrats over there in the 30s. Now they have a program where they kill four over 400,000 a year, these muskrats. And then because that they are, uh, they don't believe in being able to use a fur for anything useful, they just incinerate them. So you explain that one, how how, how that is a you know a a PETA thing to do, but but. It's, it's exactly what you say. They're very, very destructive and they carry disease. They, you know, I mean, there isn't an animal out there that doesn't need to be controlled. So you developed one that got, that, that would wipe out everything. Yeah, that was the, the treadle. Basically all it is a teeter-totter. As they go in, reach a certain point, the teeter-totter closes the door. Once they're standing on the teeter-totter, there's no way they can get out because there's no way they can get to the door without the door being closed. So. You know, it's basically, if they're in there, it's almost 100% catch. I don't know if that, and one of the other neat things about these traps is that there's, I have never caught a duck in one, and I don't know of anybody that's ever caught a duck, so you don't have an issue with waterfowl of any kind, and yeah. so there's a, there's several advantages to it. The disadvantages, you know, in comparison to a dozen foothold traps and the cost of my traps is, is tremendously different, but it takes a lot of work to make them in that. I've Absolutely. got a lot of people that I've that I've bought uh, that I've uh, sold traps to, and they've continually bought more and more of them. And so, I mean, that tells me that they're they're still working good for them. So, well, I did a really neat study with, like I said, I this spring, uh, and I, I as as years have gone on, I have I have quit trapping rats in the spring, just because. I, I know that that's it's a low low shot number and 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 usually by the time the ice goes here, they're starting to rip one another apart, right? <coughs> because of breeding season. So I I did I, I set the I had the, you sent me one of each model and I set them up on the one lake and we uh, and I caught caught rats and all that and then then the next lake I moved to I thought well I should compare. So I set eleven floats that had two uh, one and a half long spring footholds on. So I had I had 22 out there and and I set my set the the two traps that you sent me. And uh, I forget whether it was three nights or four nights. I'd have to look back at my records, but <clears throat> I I ended up catching three rats in the 20 in in those 22 uh, 
so one a night for 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 22 uh footholds and i ended up catching i think 17 total in in your in your two tra traps <laughs> You know, <laughs> uh, well, I had to, I had to check it out. Like, I mean, cause I mean, spring is never usually a good time for, for rat trapping, but I found it, I found it really interesting anyway. And, and they worked, they worked really well. Um, I can't, I don't know if, if the, if my extra small problem went away because of course all rats in the spring are big, <laughs> but, yeah. but I, yeah, you, there, you don't have any of those issues with, with, uh, with ducks or, or with, uh, um, I, I didn't have any problems. With, like I never had a mink eat one, which was which, which was something new. Usually, every every uh, muskrat season, you you have, lose a couple to mink. Uh, they'll yeah. they'll dive down, find them hanging there, whatever. Pack them back up onto the top, on on get them up on the uh, the float and, and eat them. Th those are tough critters. Those mink are. Like I mean, <laughs> they're not even an aquatic animal yet. You know, I mean, they're not made to be aquatic. They don't have webbing in their feet or anything else. And yet they, 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 and then when you watch them swim, they don't even swim well. <laughs> have you ever watched on, on YouTube? You ever watched them swim after trout and that? And it's like, he's like struggling to get down there. He's going to drown on the way you think. And then he gets a hold of a, a trout as big as him. You know, they're, they're a fascinating critter. You, you guys must trap a bunch of those in, in Alaska. Uh, well, I have never been a mink trapper and apparently I'm still not a mink trapper. My, the kids in town here catch more mink than I catch, but I, I, they got, there's so many mink here. They should be like trapping muskrats. And yet I have a terrible time catching these mink. Uh, I, you know, I catch mink. I'm not saying I don't catch them. And, you know, I, I just think they should be like trapping muskrats, but they don't respond to bait. Uh, very, very poor because they, every time the tide goes out, the dinner table set they go down there and they eat in 15 minutes and they got a full belly so i found that their distance they travel from the den is about 100 yards you know where you think a mink probably where you're at they're traveling miles at night oh okay yeah. no yep. these things are traveling 100 yards so you've got a pretty narrow spot you've got to catch them but they're traveling that distance every time but they have no interest in bait so you go to all blind sets and yeah. so what i ended up you know, being the most successful, they don't want to push their way through a, a uh, conibear trigger. And so I took the conibear triggers off and, and kind of inverted the trap and put a pan type uh, metal pan on it. And if, if it's exposed, they won't jump on it. But if you can blend that in, it's fairly effective. But I've gone to a lot of work trying to figure out how to make these things into muskrats because there's hundreds of the things you know you talk about you know in the in the day when they were trapping a lot here there was guys that catch six and eight hundred mink and uh huge numbers of mink here but boy they're they're just a different mink than what i've ever was accustomed to i've only lived here permanently in alaska for five years although i started trapping up here just shortly after 2000 when they uh banned trapping in the lower 48 and have been trapping up here for basically 20 years and uh are they the larger mink have never what are they larger than the, than the mink that you'd find no, in, no? same no. The, same the, animal. Pine, the pine the pine martin are though pine yeah. martin from the selkirk range are freaking huge and you mentioned the fat on them the pine martin interesting thing about these pine martin here is they've got fat like a mink almost really and they're and they're nearly twice the size of the martin i got out of the out of the selkirk range 
they're both Americanas. They're not Karinas. They're, you know, they're Americanas here, and then they're yeah. they're Americanas uh, well, in the Selkirk range as well. And here's the fascinating thing. I, I'm showing how to how you know we we skin and and flesh uh, mink. I get all these these uh, uh, queries and conversations that with people from back in Ontario and and, and east back there, their mink don't need to be. Uh, you don't have to put on a board. They don't have that fat under the saddle or anything else. Well, these are real fat here, especially the big males. They're just really grease balls. But yeah. they have so much to eat here, and the mink per square mile is is phenomenal. You know, it, like I said, I don't think they travel more than a hundred yards from their den, and they got certain places they go down to the beach to eat, and I think they get their belly full in half hour or whatever, and turn around and go back up and lay down again. <laughs> well, half of my mink every year are caught in a martin box. They, you know, they, they climb the tree and get into a, into a martin box. The other half are caught on sitting a, a, a box uh, with a with a, a bear uh, on on the beaver dam. And, you know, if I get four or five hundred muskrat in the in the fall, I just chop them in half and I and I dump the guts out of the out of the half into a bucket. Well, that's all my mink bait. And I, I'll just pack a big wad of those guts into the back of a of a box and put a trap in front of it and that's that's sitting on all of the any place where i cross a um you know a, a waterway or you know and lots of times you know you i know where most of these places are just from being on the on the trap line for so long because you would never know that water even ran there but the the mink and the otter travel there every year because there's water that that oozes from one spot to another and that's that's the trickle that's going through right but you don't know it they know it so you got to pay attention mm -hmm. to, to your animals you must have you're in wrangell alaska right Yes, yep. That halfway down British Columbia on that tip of ground that of Alaska that hangs halfway down British Columbia, you're exactly 1,200 miles uh, due east of me. And when I'm in my place in Seiko, Montana, you're 1,200 miles due north of me. I've got, <laughs> I've got a, I, you know, when you mentioned about the the muskrat traps, I, I was just chomping at the bit, thinking, okay, I've got 200 of these traps. Maybe Rich will call me up and. Add, bring your 200 traps we're going to trap muskrats and you'll find out what what skipping muskrats is like to where your hands get so sore that you think okay i've caught enough muskrats so <laughs> well i tell you if we didn't have the crazy uh covet thing going on and the border closed we'd we, we'd have been on one another's trap line for sure already <laughs> <laughs> you must have uh and by the way I'll never forget the idiot that allows you guys to have that panhandle in, uh, in rather than BC have it. <laughs> I think it's it Seward. I can, bl I can blame Seward, can't I? <laughs> they didn't think he was too bright either at the time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Seward's icebox. Yeah, his Seward's folly. It was called for forever. Uh, you uh, have have uh, like river or uh, ocean otter, sea otter, right? Yes. They're very large. They got to be like three times, 60, 70 pounds. Yes, correct. And yeah. the, the, one of the amazing things I found out about them, I have several native friends here that are able to harvest them. And, and one guy, he makes quite a bunch of stuff out of them. He makes, uh, well, let me see. Oh, just a second. Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. at Locals.com. We created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference 
and censorship of social media companies. Because this community is subscriber exclusive, there is no censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming. As happens on Twitter and Facebook, trolls are non-existent. As not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping Inc., YouTube videos, and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never-before-released to the internet hunting and fishing from around the world. Trappinginc.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all Trapping Inc. content from the past and into the future. What else is there to do? Well, there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact. You can message us directly on trappinginc.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers. These are all people with common interests. Get in here. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, building a community of shared interest and interacting with all of our friends. Who knows where we can go from here? Just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account. Then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe for $5 a month. That's it. Go to locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for $5 a month to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible, ethical management of the wild resources. Trappinginc.locals.com. Now back to the show. Okay, this is a sea otter hat here. This sea otter here, and then this is a nice seal right here. Oh, yeah. Yes. But the natives here are able to utilize the seal and and the sea otter. That so seal is one of one of the uh furs that absolutely amazes me because it's way softer and and uh much nicer than I thought it was. I always thought they were kind of bristly, right? But yeah, well they are a little bit. With but the, you know, it, it's completely waterproof too, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I was starting to allude to is the interesting thing about the sea otter is they're born in the water and never leave the water. And so their environment is exactly the same and they're prime year round. That's fascinating. So, you know, we always think, yeah, I've, I found that really interesting that the, you know, that the sea otter, basically their environment never changes, you know, maybe three degrees or something. And so they're, uh, they're prime year round. Well, I understand that, that the, um, reduced harvest and all that has been gigantically successful bringing their population back but <laughs> no we've, we've gone to the other side of that dramatically you know we don't you, hate, carry- don't you hate that when that happens we, we, when we when we never have an endpoint and and when we can say that we're recovered and the same thing's happening with the grizzly bear right now in alberta you know we we're, we're yeah. at that point and <clears throat> nobody ever thought we'd get to this point i guess you know, but now what? Now, do we open the uh, hunting season again or, or or whatever? There has to be some hard and do fast ne- numbers. Yeah. Do we, at what point do we go back to scientific management? Okay. Exactly. You know, they did, you know, in, in the Marine Mammal Act, they determined that the carrying capacity of sea otter was to be 20,000 sea otter in Southeast Alaska. We currently have over 55,000, you know, so it's basically destroying the ecosystem. You, you know, plate communities like cake and that had a million dollar crab fishery they can't even find a crab to eat out there now uh it's non-existent you know because so, of the otter I mean, it's, it, it, yeah because of the sea otter i know my son has a steelhead guiding business and many of the cricks that he goes up had some really good clam digging that and they'd stop and dig clams when they came back down 
And, you know, when the sea otters found it, it looks like somebody had been in there with a backhoe and you can't find a clam. They get every single one of them. And, you know, the damage to the ecosystem is just tremendous with these things. And, you know, we have a crab fishery right here in Wrangell, but unfortunately all of the, uh, all of the uh, crab fishermen and all the other communities all end up here because it's the only place that the sea otters are not because the sea otters require uh, kelp beds to sleep in, but we've got the Stikeen River plus a bunch of other rivers that come in, the Bradfield, a bunch of other rivers that come in here. And I think that's what helps hold the, the uh, kelp down as well as the sea otters don't like the, the, salt, the fresh water, apparently. That's what I understand. And so for some reason, they just don't come back here. And so we still have crab here but it's the only place in Southeast Alaska basically that there is because the sea otters have wiped out everything else. So now we're overfishing the crab here. That's so, at I, least I, in my opinion anyway. That's amazing. We have the same thing happening on the East coast with the seals. You know, now there's, there, there's no cod left because the seal, the seal population are, are, are so huge They're You know, they, they quit the harvesting of it. Uh, first they, they, they quit, uh, the uh, harvesting of the of the young young ones, the white ones, and then after, which led to some interesting conversations about what ermine was. <laughs> we, we, show, <laughs> we show a trapping show with a white, of course, with a white weasel, and people would say, "Well, those are babies. You can't kill them, can you?" Yeah, <laughs> not understanding <laughs> that it wasn't a baby martin; it was a total different different critter. But it was it was a great opportunity to to, to teach anyway. But they back there now they've got so many uh, of. Uh, the seal that, that it's done the same thing to to the uh, cod population and there's no cod fishery anymore i first knew about how the otter were were getting uh, so popular and that was it came up on my i was working on my youtube channel and this somebody posted up a, a picture of people kayaking and the guy's in a kayak and the, and the otter comes up and crawls up on, on the kayak well that thing was gigantic. <laughs> they said 70 pounds and I believed it. And it was just hugely fat, but, but I mean, the, it was like, he was going to sink his kayak. And, and then, then it went in and talked about how, you know, that they had this, they had a whole herd of them that lived in this one little particular bay or whatever it was. And it was, I was just fascinated by it. They have the softest fur on the planet, right? Like the most actually, actually it, what it's interesting about it is it has 900 to a million hair follicles per square inch. And that's what allows them to be in the water and actually never get wet to the right. height because the water can't penetrate it. A beaver is about 100,000 hair follicles per square inch, but he's basically more time out of the water than he is in the water. Yeah. Uh, so he does not have that requirement to have that many hair follicles. But if you take and feel a sea otter or a plucked and sheared beaver, a plucked and sheared beaver is actually quite a bit softer. Right, because no, no guard hairs, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. I know that, I think it goes river otter and then for, for density and then uh, fur density you're talking about and then chinchilla. Chinchilla is about 600,000 and then the sea otter and the sea otter is in, a, in a, a class all of its own. But since they never come to shore, then, then harvest of them must be all by hunting. Yeah, but they shoot. Yeah, and they float like a bobber. Uh, so it's not like you, you know, if you shoot a beaver, you got a few minutes, seconds to get a beaver before he sinks. Uh, in the case of the, the sea otter, you shoot them and, you know, they're going to be floating forever. They're not going to sink. So 
because they're so, so they, fat. Yeah, my friend that uh, that does the the seal hat and does the other thing. He he uses a, a two o four and just shoots them in the head. And after he's got a bunch of them floating around out there, then he goes and gathers them up and comes back and skins them and ships them off to the tannery. Seriously, yeah. how many is he allowed to take? He can take as many as they wants. However, uh, they need to be killing at least 5,000 of them just to, to kill the, the, that year's production. And the natives so far, I don't think they've killed much more than about 1,200 is the most they've ever called, killed in one year. And usually they're around eight or 900 is all that the natives are, have harvested. And I don't know why, because like, I mean, you know, I think he sold his last blanket for $10,000 that he made. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity. Uh, and the interesting thing about it, in the Marine Mammal Act, the state was to take it over when they were recovered. But it's so political that the game department doesn't want to do their job uh, because of the political pressure they would get, is what it appears to me anyway. Yeah, uh, because the, right in the, the Marine Mammal Act, it says that the game department was to take over scientific management of the of the sea otter when they reach carrying capacity. Well, we perhaps passed that quite some time ago and the state has done nothing. And, you know, we keep bugging them about it, but they they just don't want to don't want the political flack of, of, you know, and it's such an opportunity. The game department has an opportunity to actually manage it through uh, a tagging. You could buy a sea otter tag for 500 bucks. They could easily sell them. They're already in financial trouble anyway. They have a resource that is going to end up dying off if they do nothing, you know? So these sea otter are all gonna die. They, they basically make a, a hundred year cycles, just like all animals cycle in that, you know? And they, one of the things, I had one guy here from British Columbia that was here staying with us, and he was talking about they dug up some of the, the mittens, the uh, native uh, dump sites, right. and they found that there was 100 years of having clam shells in the dump sites and 100 years without having clams in the dump sites. And they figured that was the cycle of the sea otter, it was 100-year cycles. You know, So these sea otters are going to die off if we continue to do nothing, and they'll make a big wide swings like they always do you know like every other animal so. yeah but the worst part is is then when they start to die off then they'll point to it to being something else they'll they'll say that it's halibut fishermen or the, or that it's that it's pleasure boaters or whatever and they'll, <laughs> they'll try and keep their thumb on the scale to artificially influence that population when nature just gets to a point where it's boom and bust boom and bust yep. boom and bust there's there's no yep. in between you know it we can clip some of those tops off a little bit, you know, if, if we, we, we take and, uh, and manage it a little, uh, a little bit, you can't, when, when people are being ruled by emotion, the, the, the Disneyfication of, uh, of the world, there's just no making them understand that, you know? Well, it's just ballot box biology or, or scientific biology. And they're just the majority of the people now prefer the bio, ballot box biology rather than scientific biology. Yeah, I cannot believe that they would not, like a ten thousand dollars for 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 a uh, a blanket. Oh my god! Like oh my god! You have stepped well, side. Hat I just. What's that? I was just saying that the hat I just showed you is five hundred and fifty dollars. That you could probably make, uh, oh, probably ten of those 
at least probably more than that out of a out of a uh, sea otter. So, I mean, it's a huge potential for revenue for the entire state, and yet they just ignore it. I wonder why. I can't figure that one. I back to our original comment about <laughs> yeah emotion versus <laughs> you know, logic. Yeah, I don't know. I I'd, I'd still be illogical and and wealthy you know <laughs> <laughs> which which you don't hear about from uh, from trappers very much but anymore but you've taken a different approach you this is your first shop in in Wrangell Alaska and how do people find it if they want to find you online fursalaska.com okay and you uh have stepped sideways from the uh, the traditional method of, of catching fur and sending it to auction or selling it to a, a fur buyer, you've decided to to take it right through to the end and make your own yep. products out of everything. So we were just before we, we went on the air, you talked about uh, what a beaver was worth to you. You want to yeah, explain that? Worth about, yeah, beaver's worth about $300 to me. I uh, make beaver tail coasters out of the tail. I sure sell those. a set of... Uh, Okay, bear with me a second. Well, Mike chases that down. That is cool. Like I, I've seen beaver tail wallets, and I've seen some uh, a little bit of uh, beaver tail uh, gun scabbers. That, but this uh, the beaver tail coasters is 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 really cool. <laughs> well, basically, I just skin out the tail at the same time. I I've started case skinning my beaver, uh, and so a case skin beaver hey rich here sandy and i are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community trapping inc at locals.com we created the community to connect more closely with our fans friends and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies because this community is subscriber exclusive there is no censored photos shadow banning and deplatforming. This happens on Twitter and Facebook. Trolls are non-existent, as not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping Inc. YouTube videos and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never-before-released to the internet hunting and fishing from around the world trappinginc.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all trapping ink content from the past and into the future what else is there to do well there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact you can message us directly on trappinginc.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers these are all people with common interests get in here this whole venture is about taking the trapping ink tv community to the next level building a community of shared interest and interacting with all of our friends who knows where we can go from here just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account then search for trapping inc and subscribe for five dollars a month that's it go to locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for five dollars a month to trapping inc help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible ethical management of the wild resources trappinginc.locals.com now back to the show so now i'm getting the tails tanned for free they charge me the same thing <laughs> for tanning the beaver with the tails on as they do so now for making fur products some of the products i make 
I use the belly fur, so I split it up the back. Some of the products I make, I skin them, split them up the belly so I can use the back. So I have an option to go either direction. If I'm making a scarf or a headband, the belly fur makes a better scarf or a headband. Uh, so I split them up the back. So, so I've got $50 in the tails to start with. And then I I've also sell the beaver teeth for five bucks a piece. So I got $20 in beaver teeth. So how did you do that tail? Did you? Okay. You, when you skin it, you know, you're just going down one leg. Oh, I see. I see. It's half the on the front the and half on the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I get a set of $50 for a set of coasters out of the tail. <laughs> and then, uh, then I make whatever I want to make out of it, whether it be these, I chop them up and make these out of it, or I make uh, the hats that I've got up above, up there. I think you can, yeah, yeah, there's a hat hats right up there yeah, yeah i make yeah. those out of them as well too so you know it takes some extra work you got some extra time into it but you know beaver each beaver i catch i figure is a 300 beaver so it's back to making it worthwhile and at least in my way of thinking anyway so it rains a fair amount here in wrangle so if i got a rainy day i can come in the store and make you know 500 or a thousand dollars worth of product in a day so well that's fascinating i i, I really like the 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 use for the beaver tail that, that that's cool and and the way that you, they end up tanning it it does i guess it's no harder for them to tan that way than no no but all leaving it all together that's <laughs> so so interesting thing i found about case skinning beaver is they're much easier to flush if you're and they're a little bit harder to clean skin normally i've always clean skinned beaver but when i went to case skinning them I found that it was easier to rough skin them and then flesh them on a beam, you know, just like you're fleshing them on an, an otter board. And so then when you go to board it, it's where you really save the time. It takes about two minutes to board a beaver. You pull them over a wooden, basically the same as like a, a, a big mink board or whatever with a belly. Actually, I used two belly boards on it in order to split where the tail is because I lay a piece of wire over the tail and then just staple the tail down so it stays flat. Yeah. And yeah. so, and that's where you really save. I, mean, I used to always figure a beaver was an hour. You know, that's all yep. it amounted to you. As long as you accept it, it's going to take you an hour to put up the beaver, you're, you're good. Well, it shaved about 15 minutes off of that uh, because that's about the time it takes to board. Or in my case, I use uh, always hoop beaver on uh, wire on, on hoops. Yeah. And so, you know, it basically cut 15 minutes of beaver handling off. So instead of an hour, I figure 45 minutes now. That so. is fascinating though. I mean, I have, I have case skinned beaver. I've never done the tail like you do that, uh, and, but I'm gonna, <laughs> but I've, uh, uh, I've case skinned them and, and I liked case skinning them just because it was so easy. Fleshing was that much easier. Yeah. Like I found because the, you know, you'd flesh it in like an otter or whatever, except without having the, you know, the tail problem that you have with an otter, uh, you know, you, you can, you can flesh an otter pretty dang fast as compared to fleshing just to regular beaver, you know, mm -hmm. when you case skin them though and get them over top of that beam, like you can make some pretty good time. Yeah. You know? That's why I say it's it cut a good 15 minutes off of my beaver handling. Right. Right. Huh. And then it gives me so many more options too, you know, for as far as when I'm making product out of them, you know, I can choose to split it. Occasionally I even split them down the side if I want on the hats to get that, that ear flap to be right out of the center of the back, which makes a nice looking hat. Uh, so, 
you can position it where you want it and what you want to make out of it. Well, that, but that, that is very important for you because you, you make your own product too. You're, you're right from the, from the trap to the, to, to the cash register, right? Yeah. What, <laughs> what I refer to as fleecing the liberals as they come in the store. <laughs> I had a guy contact me from Florida and he wanted a links. And of course we have lots and lots of links. I have lots of tan links down there, but by the time it's $365 just to deal with the U S fish and wildlife to send a links, a links mm -hmm. to Florida. But by the time you're done with CITES and everything else, it was like $890 bill. And then, <laughs> and he hasn't paid me for the, for the links that he hasn't paid me, but he was a Democrat and this was just, <laughs> this was just before the election. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to be so careful how I talked and all that. And, <laughs> and then he eventually brought it up and I says, I don't think we're going to get along very long, very well if we start talking about this. <laughs> but they were fascinated. And I was, finally I said to him, I said, you're not my, my typical, uh, uh, you know, fan or, or viewer or, or people that want to contact, buy me, buy fur from me because you just, you know, being on that left side and all that. And he says, well, we're not all that way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I should get a hold of him again and ask him how the gas prices are. Or could he put up with a mean tweet every now and then? Now, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think our country is leeching levels of stupidity that if I didn't really think was achievable. So we had a minister in our government, which is. You know he's he, he so he's in the he's in the the governing caucus so he's a liberal and he's the minister of uh, who knows they have so much stupidity but he brought out uh, a statement he made a statement that that all plastic was toxic and all plastic should be should be uh carry special um taxes on it and you know because we got to go away from taxes he would have been naked without glasses or a phone sitting there doing that tweet if plastic would have been outlawed you know like i mean this is how stupid this guy is <laughs> don't get me going i'll be as bad as dan bongino i'll be spitting on things i'll be <laughs> i'll be right there with you <laughs> well we should uh, wrap this up we've been at it an hour and a half and this has been a great time we have to get together uh, okay i'm gonna Let me bring my 200 much my 200 floating muskrat traps up we'd better bring a couple skinners with us so yeah uh, yeah exactly exactly what one way that, yeah come come go come trapping on the trap line come come do muskrats i gotta come see you over there uh i think i i uh listened to a podcast you're on uh with mediator and you talked about that you actually use a, a jet boat to to do most of your trapping on because your no, rivers stay open not a not yeah. a, not a jet boat, an airboat, entirely different. It's got an old 540 Lycoming aircraft engine on it. Right. And because our rivers, because of the, the climate that we have here, it oscillates between freezing and not freezing. And the rivers aren't solid enough to run a snowmobile up. So the airboat is neat because it runs in snow. I, I've never had it in very deep snow yet, but I think it will handle perfectly in deep snow just, just as well as a, a foot and a half or two feet of snow but uh, handles wonderfully. And then if the ice breaks up from underneath you, you're a boat and it just heads right back. You just keep on going. 
And so it's a. Uh, I bet but, you have. You know, it's it's I'll, expensive. Yeah, I'll, but I bet you have some stories. Oh my God, I could I can already picture this trip in my head. <laughs> Because they steer kind of like a pinball, don't they? <laughs> you just got to ricochet well, it off a, stuff. <laughs> no, it's, it's not that way at all. But one thing it does do, if you get on a slab of ice, it'll want to drift sideways on you. The only thing you can do is turn it around and go backwards, you know, basically just flip it around. But it'll flip around in its own length. And I bet there's so a whole story it, that in how you figured that one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there are actually several, several stories. That, that one thing that's really, really bothersome is, is that uh, in the, the rivers that I trap, my inreach, as far as I can tell, my inreach doesn't even get out. So I carry a, a rubber raft with me, that a little tiny rubber raft that I figure if I get some open leads and, and that, that I've got to get over or through or whatever, or maybe it'll just drag down to walk downstream and, and hopefully be able to get down the back to the ocean. And then from, from the, when I get to the, the, the mouth of the, the river, then I've still got another five miles. I got to paddle to get to my trapping cabin and my trapping cabin's 42 miles from town and that. So, but uh, yeah, but you know, I, if I've got an inreach and if I do get in trouble with a broken leg or something, you know, hitting the inreach, come and get me button, there might not be anybody coming to get me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, uh, tell everybody how they can, they can find your YouTube. You have some great uh, trail cam videos of, of uh, your traps in action. I didn't get any this, uh, any trail cam this year because we, we had waves like this and uh, I, I lost two cameras as a matter of fact. But anyway, what, where, what, what no. YouTube uh, can they find you on? Well, nongriptraps.com, and then uh, on the site for where we sell the traps, uh, there's also a bunch of the video that I yeah. put on there so people can see how they operate and that. Some of them have got a cutaway so you can see the muskrat going in. I've, I've taken wired the trap stationary so you can actually see the muskrat and how the teeter-totter works and that. But And then I've got videos of the small muskrats squeezing out through the bars yeah. and getting out and that and so you can see how what's going on with it and that and how the bump bar works and that type of thing so oh, it's, it's it's a great it's a great idea uh i can see it being huge for especially the the treadle one for uh golf courses that kind of stuff where they they really really hate muskrats <laughs> what you know the real advantage to these traps is for the ability to just take and bait the trap and throw it in the water you don't have to locate the runs you don't have to locate the feed beds none of that's even required so the adc guys or even individuals that have a pond i sell a lot of traps individuals that have no trapping experience at all i provide a dvd with each one of the traps that you know gives you a little bit of information of maintenance and a little bit of information of how to set them and that and basically you just bait them and throw them in the water and you know tie them off so they don't float away is about the only requirement Oh, I know they, they and they work. They are so easy. They, they they work so well, and and like like I like you say, it is great for for people to have their own pond that that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I'm I'm impressed with them, and I I really recommend anybody that, that's interested should should uh, go watch your trail cam videos on them. That they they work work really really good there. Uh, FursAlaska.com is how they get a hold of your fur shop. Yep. Okay. And you have lots of good stuff. I know we have lots. I'm not sure what the deal would be if people could try and 
try and bring that stuff into Canada, but I, I know that the folks in the States uh, that uh, watch the podcast that will uh, can, can reach you and, and get your, your product. This has been a blast, bud, and I really want to do it again. And uh, thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you, Rich. I greatly appreciate all you've done for trapping in the industry. I can't, can't thank you enough. Well, it started out with me trying to pick a fight, but it kind of went the other way. On me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, folks, we'd like to thank you for, for spending your time with us, and uh, maybe we'll see you down the line. <laughs>